0: I looked the message over tonight and thought it was a little dry so I immediately went to the store and bought candy. (laughs) Our pastors tonight are hosting the first through fifth grade at their house for a swimming party. (laughs) I thought how precious for our children to get to know them on that level. Yeah, yeah. Well. I'm going to continue in the same theme because tonight I'm going to talk about the God of the do-over. Another chance, but I want to give you a disclaimer first. (laughs) When I talk about the do-over, I'm not referring to your salvation. If you have accepted Christ as your savior, there's nothing you can do to lose that. I'm talking about getting the most out of your life, achieving what God has destined for you. So I'm not talking about your salvation. So if I say you need to repent so you can get your do-over, I am not talking about your salvation at all, okay? All right, so I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you that your goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life, that your love is unending. I'm so glad that you are slow to anger and so quick to forgive. I need you every day. You are so good. You are so good, and I want to know you better. I want to love you better. Be with us tonight. Holy Spirit, I invite you to join us here and anoint the word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a (laughs) do-over? Maybe it was a job interview, and you knew that if you didn't make a good first impression, what's that old saying? You'd never get a second chance to make a good impression. Yeah, it was going to be back to the want ads. Maybe it's the fourth quarter of the ball game, and the score's tied, and you've got the ball. And, whoa, you wish you had a do-over then sometimes. Maybe you've used up all your chances with someone who's really important to you, and you know one more time, and it's over. Maybe it's just finals at the end of the semester. Susan, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> she laughed all the way through my last message. <laughs> the world is full of last chances. Do or die, it's my way or the highway. And there are times when I just need a do over. I've had times when, as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I thought, Lord, I need a do-over. In my office, I so frequently hear people say, if only I hadn't. If only I hadn't been unfaithful. If only I hadn't used violence to try to solve my problems. If only I'd known what they were going through. If I could just go back and do it over. And you know the list goes on and on. Y'all could add some of your things, if only, to it. If there's one thing Karen always tells me is, what is it, Karen? Well, which one? <laughs> you can't sh- oh, you, um, you there's can't. no such thing. Oh, yeah. How do you you have can't my... shoulda. That's right. You can't shoulda. Thank See, I'm always saying, oh, I should have done this. She says, you can't shoulda. You can't shoulda. You can't shoulda. And the word of God is just full of examples of people who needed a do-over. I just rattled off some off the top of my head, and I came up with Sarah, Solomon, Paul, Moses, Lot, Rahab, Peter, Jonah, David, Gideon, Mary Magdalene, Adam, Saul, Ruth, Bathsheba, Naomi, Martha, Eve, Peter. No doubt you could add to the list would be easy. The Bible is full of people who needed a do-over. And I want you to know that we are not perfect and that God does not hold us to that standard. I know in the word, there are places where it says to be perfect, but if you'll do a little word study on that, that'll come out, you need to be mature. Quit acting like a kid. You know better than that. He is the God of another chance. And yes, if needed, he's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. I know that because, well, I'll just go on. Uh, Tonight I'm going to kind of take you on a journey. We're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to start at 800 BC, 800 years before Christ. Then we're going to look at the era of Christ, and then I'm going to finish up by bringing you all the way back to 2014. So I've printed the verses, you see my handout, i printed the verses because I'm using the Message Bible. For those of you watching online, I'll give the scripture reference so you can follow along but these guys have all got handouts with all the, the scriptures in it. I'm starting in the book of Jonah. And if you thought that that was a child's book, how many of you heard about Jonah in Sunday school? Yeah, and I kind of thought that was a kid's book I've colored the pictures, you know, and, and, well, you know how old I am if I say I did the flannel board, <laughs> but let's go to Jonah, Jonah chapter one, one day, a long time ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amatea's son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them, they're in a bad way and I can't ignore them any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish as far away from God as he could get. And in your handout, I've included a map. And at point A is the port of Joppa. Um, His hometown is actually that goth, Hefer. And God told him to go to Nineveh, which is point B. It's about 500 miles from his hometown. He hopped a boat and headed to point C. Good grief. That's Spain, you guys. If he'd gone a couple of days further, he would have been in the Atlantic Ocean and maybe discovered America. I don't know. (laughs) But he went as far as he could go. Now, the difference between Nineveh And Tarshish is vast. Nineveh is located east of the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. It was about 500 miles east of Jonah's hometown. Tarshish in contrast is about 2,500 miles away in the opposite direction from Nineveh. It was the most remote destination that Jonah could go to before he fell off the end of the world. And you know, I don't find that too unusual. If you're running from God, don't you run just as far and extreme as you can? <laughs> you do. And you know, it's not unusual to talk to someone who has a drug problem and find out that they had felt a call to the ministry at one time on their life. They run as hard and far sometimes as they can. Now, Jonah's reason for running was simple. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and Jonah hated Assyrians. Assyria was an idolatrous, proud, power-crazy nation, and they were bent on conquering the world, and they constantly attacked Israel. So Jonah did not want to see Nineveh repent. He wanted them destroyed. So he boarded a ship at Joppa, got out to sea. I mean, this is a kid's story. You know it. A violent storm came up. And the ship was tossed, and the sailors were afraid they were going to be capsized, and they began to cry out to their gods. You know, they worshipped all different kinds of gods on that boat, and each one was crying out to their own god and they realized that Jonah was missing. So they went down into the bottom of the boat where he was taking a nap and woke him up and said, get your little self up here and start praying to your God because we're going to die. Well, the storm raged on and they decided to draw straws to see who was causing this calamity. And good old Jonah, he got the short straw. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Then they grilled him. Confess. Why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and land. At that, the men were frightened. Really frightened. Apparently, God's reputation had spread throughout that land. And they said, What on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. They said to him, what are we going to do with you to get rid of this storm? By this time, the sea was wild, totally out of control. Well, you guys know the story. Eventually, it was heave-ho to Jonah, right over the side of the boat and into the drink and immediately the storm calmed and the sea calmed now the king james version says god prepared a great fish didn't you learn in sunday school that was a whale i did i know somebody taught me that was a whale it doesn't say that it says god prepared a great fish I have no idea what that was. It could have been something that had never existed before or after. It could have been a submarine. I don't know. God is not limited. He prepared a great fish. Anyway, there was Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days and nights when he finally repented. And God caused the fish to vomit him up on the seashore. I would love to have seen him. Nasty and seaweed hanging out of his ears and no telling what. But in all of his woes, Jonah got another chance. So Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1. Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, obeying God's orders to the letter. Well, kind of. History tells us that Nineveh was a huge city. It would take three days to walk across it. Jonah walked in one day and said, God's going to destroy you if you don't repent, left went outside their walls and sat down and pouted, but the word spread. You talk about anointing. (laughs) God put so much anointing on that word that even the king heard about it and issued an edict that not one person was to take a drop of water or a morsel of food, and neither were there animals to take any water or food until they had all repented and God had relented what he was going to do. Now, there was nothing wrong with at least part of Jonah's theology. He knew if the people of Nineveh Nineveh, repented, God was going to forgive them. He was going to give them another chance. And that's exactly what Jonah was afraid of. And that's exactly what God did. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. What a great book of do-overs this is. If you think it's a story for children, read it. It's this is not the end of the story. Oh, Jonah had about three more fits to throw. <laughs> it it would be comical if I had not seen myself in some of those temper tantrums he was throwing. <laughs> But it's an interesting book, and it's not just for children. Jonah got about four do-overs here. Nineveh, 120,000 people got a do-over. Even the sailors on the boat, it says, turn to the one true God, and they got a do-over. And it looks to me like God is willing to go to extremes to give us another chance. When we repent, he doesn't just go whatever I'm kind of sick of you oh no 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 he works behind the scene to set up a grand and glorious do-over for us and I want to say it's not just a do-over it's not just a do-over it's another chance You know, it's not just a second chance. It's another and another and another. So let's kind of change gears right now. Let's rock it up about 800 years to the New Testament and look at one of the most famous do-overs in all of history and see if we can contrast it to the most famous, unreclaimed failure in history. One man is known as a very great disciple of the Lord, The other man is known as a very evil man. When we compare the lives of the two men, we find they had many things alike, the same opportunities, the same teaching, the same calling. In spite of this, they were entirely different, and the outcome or the end of their lives was completely different. Of course, you see now I'm talking about Peter and Judas Iscariot. Peter got a colossal do-over. Judas died of failure and in disgrace. So what happened? What made the difference? They both had opportunities to know right from wrong. They both sat at the feet of Jesus, didn't they? They were both there from John the Baptist on. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. They heard the parable of the sowing and reaping. They were both there. According to the research I did, If you counted all the hours they set under the teaching of Christ, who was probably the greatest teacher in the world, it would be the equivalent of today's Ph.D. in divinity. Both Peter and Judas saw miracles. Matthew 9.35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, and every disease among the people. Peter was there. He saw that. Judas was there. He saw that. Both Judas and Peter were given the power to work miracles. Never thought about that before. Matthew ten five through 8, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Judas Iscariot went about the cities, healing the sick and raising the dead. Both made mistakes. Matthew sixteen twenty-one through 23. This is a big one for Peter. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. And he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You know, Peter messed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He wanted to build booths and live up there. He drew his sword and cut off a soldier's ear. He treated the Gentiles so poorly that Paul had to correct him. He failed to walk on the water due to fear and doubt. Peter denied Christ three times. Judas stole from the treasury of the disciples. He resented the anointing of Jesus by Mary. And he betrayed Christ. Both were warned Matthew twenty six twenty one through 25 And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Peter was warned as well. Luke twenty two, thirty one through thirty four. And the Lord said Simon Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and unto death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that you know me. They both heard the same teaching. They saw the same miracles. They received the power to do miracles. Both were warned. Both failed. Peter denied Christ. Judas betrayed him. Both were remorseful. Both of them were sorry. Peter was saved. Judas was lost. So where's the disconnect? Why did Judas not get a do-over? The answer is simple. It's not enough to be sorry. Repentance is the key to the do-over. And you know, we talk about repentance and sin, and those words, they were never intended to be religiously weird. You know, we talk about repentance and sin and glory, and. Repentance simply means turning around and going the other way. Sin is simply falling short of the mark. Have you ever fallen short of the mark? Boy, I have. I have. Repentance means to change your heart and mind and go the other way. Peter repented. He denied God, or he denied Christ And he repented, and he began to proclaim his faith in Christ. He went the other way. The word tells us that Judas went his own way and took his life. And he was lost. Repentance is the key to the do-over. And it's not a big deal. You don't have to have a big drama about it. It's as simple as saying, whoa, Father, I'm sorry about that and then doing something different. You know, you don't have to take the same road. The the girls in my group, and Bernita has told me this, a story about walking down a road. Can I tell this story, Bernita? Walking down a road and falling in a hole and climbing out and starting over and walking down the road and falling in a hole. Well, eventually you learn, I guess, pretty good climbing skills. You get out of that hole. But my girls assure me in my group, you can take a different road. You really can. You can turn around and go the other way. And you get the do-over. Want a do-over? Just take the other road. You know, we have a saying in the counseling office. You can cry and cry and cry. But if your behavior doesn't change, you're stuck. And it's the same here. You can be sorry and sorry and sorry, but if you don't turn around and go the other way, you're stuck. Well, tonight's about turning things around, getting another chance. We visited Jonah in the eighth century BC and we've seen Judas and Peter. And now I want to come forward to 2014. And I'm going to do that with a video. And it's uh, Chip Ingram's video. And I was going to do his part. I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just write out what he says and I'll do his part. And I thought, that's really kind of unethical but it's part of a bible study and you'll get the drift that he's talking about more than just that but you'll you'll get it it's it's not difficult so i'm just going to let him go ahead just run the whole thing out because he does a little bible study after it. instead of pretend that i thought that part up so are you ready mike all right let's just watch a video
1: Sorry, man. Time to close up. Did you get a meal? You any good with words? You playing Scrabble? By yourself?
2: Of course not. I'm playing with Fred here.
1: He's whooping me pretty good.
2: You want next? I, um.
1: Well, you know.
2: Sit down, son. <laughs> it's your turn. What church are you from? Excuse me? I assume you were a church group.
1: No, no church. My wife just asked me to come. Right in the middle of a
2: football game. Yeah. And there's always a game. Okay.
1: Fresh. Four six thirteen plus double letter for the H.
2: Seventeen. Refresh. Uh, you had seventeen. Add two for the R and the E, uh, and triple word. Um, Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven points for two letters? It's God's favorite letters. God's what? (laughs) My mother used to say that R and E were God's favorite letters. So she named me for them. Re... Re... Ray Charles. Ray of sunshine. Second note of the musical scale. Ray!
1: Your turn. Okay. Double. Seven, eight, nine, triple letter,
2: 15. Read them. Adds two plus double word score. Son of a. (laughs) Why? How many R's and E's are in this thing? (laughs) Sorry, kid. They're more R's and E's than anything else.
1: Must be because they're God's favorite
2: letters. Since you don't go to church, I ain't gonna hold that against you. But you should know that whole Bible can be summed up in them two letters. R and E. That's right. Redo, repeat, renewal. It's like that old movie. Your life is a do-over. Your life is a do-over. That's the Bible. God is all about the do-over. Grace, renewal, repentance, restoration. But first, you gotta die.
1: Yeah, I think maybe I'll pass.
2: Then no re, no redo. That's the whole point, son. The re comes from the dying. The Bible says, unless the seed falls onto the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. The old you dies, the new you thrives. <laughs> Am I getting through that thick school of yours at all? So far, I got
1: God's a fan of the duo James, you ready to go? Give me a few minutes. I'm finishing up a game with Ray. Here's one you can't just add R-E to Ray.
2: Speak. E-R, speaker. <laughs> While you adding that up, uh, you had two and a double word score for me. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> R-E is only the half of it. R-E ain't worth much if it don't change you. And E-R is how it changes you. Add E-R, and love becomes lover, give becomes giver, forgive becomes forgiver. And you know what that leads to? God? More R-E. It's not about what you do. It's about what you become. God wants a relationship, not a religion. He reveals the record of my wrongs. And I recognize my need for him. And I repent. And then I rejoice because Jesus came to reconcile us to God. <laughs> and whoever receives him is rescued and resurrected when we die. <laughs> he will give us the RE. And we shall become <laughs> ERs. <laughs> we will be brothers and sisters, <laughs> hopers and believers, lovers <laughs> and fighters. We will receive our eternal reward, and all that was lost shall be restored <laughs> in His eternal realm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I like you Ray <laughs> You're smarter than you look <laughs> I sure <should> hope so <laughs> R.E. and e E-R. have definitely never heard it before that way
2: Ray is what life's all about How will you R.E. and E.R. Hey We should lock up
1: Ah, I'm getting schooled anyway.
2: Remember, son, we all need a redo.
1: Next time you'll give me that redo?
2: I think you have me confused with God, son. Next time I'm still up, one nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Let me ask you, what part of that film did you like the best? I mean, what part were you kind of chuckling inside or saying, man, that's a really cool word? Man, I never thought of it like that. For me, it was when, when the guy got up and he started doing the little rap and started talking about, you know, when God does his RE, you become an ER. And he goes, you know, you receive and you've restored and you're redeemed. And he's looking for relationship and not religion. And, and I don't know, I just got a real kick out of that. And I thought, you know, life about life. God is in the business of giving life. God's in the business of changing lives, not, not religion and not duty and not oughts and not shoulds. And, you know, you can kind of tell the, the young man sitting down playing Scrabble, kind of going there because, yeah, his wife, you know, going to help her out and, you know, I don't go to church. And, you know, a lot of us have kind of been through that. And we're going to talk about in the next few weeks together, life that's really life. And I love Ray's words because you know what? Life is about God giving you a do-over. You get to do a do-over. And, and you know that transition from the R-E to the E-R, you know, from forgiven to forgiver, you know, from love to lover, uh, from, you know, hope that you get inside that you actually can give hope. I mean, all that is really awesome. But here's the question for you. How, how do you know that's true? I mean, wh- where in the Bible does it actually say what that man laid out for us. And, and in this whole study, we're going to have you digging on your own, maybe a little bit more than usual. And so what I want you to do is open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you've got a PDA or your iPad, wherever you use it, and, and bring it when we get together. You're going to need it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And what I want to do is I'm just going to give you an overview of Ephesians chapter 2. Because what you're going to see is what the RE did to produce ERs. And what we're going to see in chapter two of verses one to three, you're going to see this is what your life and my life was like apart from Christ. And then verses four through six, we're going to see what God did to give us life through Christ. Uh, verse seven, it's interesting, just a little parenthetical thought. And he's going to say, this was why. There was a purpose behind this, of course, of his love, but there, there was a purpose behind it. And then verses eight and nine, he's going to say, well, how did we get this life? What happened and what was our part and then in verse 10 it's really pretty cool he talks about this grace this new life that comes inside of us it's not so that we have just an event an experience it's that we end up on a mission and fulfill a purpose about life so, so you're ready follow along we'll just look at it a couple verses at a time he says for as you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live which you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of this air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And you're going to get a little time to dig in and look at some of that, but basically, apart from God, we were dead spiritually. I mean, we were were just separated and we needed help. Uh, We were way behind, you know, we needed an RE in a major way. And so notice picking up it at verse 4, follow along. It says, but, that's a great but in the New Testament. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then parenthetically, it is by grace we were saved. But God, Here, here's, notice his motivation, but God, out of His love, who is rich in mercy. I don't know about you, but uh, somewhere along the line, most of us pick up, either in church or from family background, that we don't quite measure up. And there's there's a truth to that. But what you need to understand is, you know what Ray communicates in that film we watched? Man, there's a joy. We're loved. God wants you to know that you belong to Him if you've trusted Christ. He wants you to know that you're his beloved son or daughter, and he wants you to know that in just a minute, it's a gift. You can't earn it. I can't earn it, That he's for you, and he's in the process of you. I love what Ray said, this isn't about what you do. This is about who you become. You're a becoming person. Now let's pick up the story. Notice the why in verse 7. He did this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, so you're a walking billboard. You, you're, you're a person that as Christ comes to live in you and forgives your sins and gives you life and he d- gives you a redo and transforms you, you are just like this walking billboard as life is birthed where people say, Wow, wow. God loves him. How, how kind is Christ? It's an expression of that. And then in verses eight and nine, he gives an explanation of how it works and your part and my part. He talks about there's a gift that's given and there's a way we receive it by faith. Look at verse eight. He says, for by grace, we are saved through faith. And this isn't from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You know, God wants you to know that the redo you have to receive but it's a gift. You know, you didn't do anything to earn it, deserve it. You can't be proud. You can't boast. You're just the object of the creator of all the universe, his love. And he sent his son, fully man and fully God, in a time in history. It's not a story. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. But in time, space, history, he came and lived a perfect life. He revealed the Father's heart, that God is love, full of grace and truth. And after living a perfect life and being rejected, he died upon a cross in your place and my place, and his death paid for your sin and mine. And the Bible says, for whosoever believes in him, whosoever would receive the gift, as many as receive them, to them, he gives the right or the authority to become children of God. And you know what? It doesn't end there. Verse 10 says, there's a purpose, for you are, we are, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before ordained, like from the foundations of the earth, that you should walk in them. And that word workmanship, uh, you do a little study on that one. It's exciting. Literally, it's you're his tapestry, you're his poem, you're his masterpiece, you're his work of art. And what I want you to know is we're going to go on a journey together where there's new life in Christ. We're going to talk about a destination, we're going to talk about a pathway, but we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about experiencing and living life this isn't a series about getting more religious. This is a series about the life that is really life. This is about being reconciled, right? This is about being redeemed. This is about being reclaimed. This is about being restored. This is about following and falling in love with Jesus. And so as you start your discussion, discuss the film here, let me, uh, let me ask you, if you are playing Scrabble, and there was one RE word, or maybe one even ER word, that best describes where you're at in your relationship with God, what would it be? And let me tell you, I just can't wait for our next time together.
0: Yeah, we all get a do-over, and the ER that's what we're becoming. When we experience love, we become lovers. When we experience forgiveness, we become forgivers. You can cry and cry and cry, but if behavior doesn't change, you're stuck. So there's a reason for the do-over. I mean, it's, it's God's love but it's so that you can be his workmanship, so you can experience your destiny. Everything he called you to is in the do-over. And I love the way the word repeated God's word to Jonah verbatim the second time. It wasn't like, well, your calling's kind of tarnished now, and it's really not gonna work as good, but go ahead. No, it's gonna work just exactly like it was supposed to. And you know, this is something you can experience in your quiet time, whenever that is, morning, evening. You can ask God, because I've received your love, help me become a lover. We've got ministry teams here tonight. I know some of you have need of ministry, or if you're a little bit confused about what is this do-over, these people on our ministry teams will be glad to help you. But you can do this at home as well. And I'm just going to dismiss us because it's about time. Um, and if you need ministry, have you noticed we have a new ministry area over here? Hi, Virginia. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I want to No, find... when the prophet comes up, I just <laughs> give her the microphone. <laughs> oh. Well, Pastor Eric uh, felt very strongly tonight that that he was supposed to stay at home, stay at the home, and be a part of what they were doing. And he said, "I'm going to offer them to receive Jesus tonight." And so he wanted me to tell you that there were four saved tonight. So, amen. So I'm. Okay, that's, that's quite a lot to say. We have a new ministry area. I don't know, we, we will appreciate your feedback on that as well because some people think it's kind of creepy to go all the way over there. I don't know. We'd be glad to you know listen to what you have to say. Our idea behind that was to give a, a quieter, more private area for ministry because especially on Sunday mornings, It gets really chaotic up here and there's people talking and laughing and somebody gets slain in the spirit and stepped on and you know so we thought if we moved it over there we'd just have a quieter place so if you're on the ministry team if you wouldn't mind moving over there i'm going to go ahead and dismiss everyone else and if you need ministry they are there available for that Father, we just thank you for your love. We thank you because your love created the redo. And Father, we are just open to you to let us know if there's an area in our hearts that needs a redo. We thank you for it. Father, we thank you because we are your children, and you are our Father. So be with each one of us now. Be with everyone as they go to their homes. Father, let us be lovers and forgivers. Let us be environment transformers. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.